Series. I'm taking it, everybody can hear me now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thank you. So, as I say, what the Bible means for us today, that's what we've been looking at. But this morning, we are going to focus on how does the Bible point to Jesus? How does the Bible point to Jesus? Now, perhaps you think of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, as being really, really old history and the New Testament as being not quite so old history. Uh, perhaps you think as the New Testament, it tells us only about Jesus because that's when he appears in the New Testament to us. So what we're going to focus on today is that the entire, the entire Bible points to and is all about Jesus. So our reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, if you'd like to follow along. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Amen. Now, these verses from Hebrews begin by splitting history into two parts. We've got in the past and in these last days. Now, an easy way to track these two time periods is by the Old and the New Testaments. And the writer in Hebrews is reminding us that God has been speaking for thousands of years through the prophets, bringing revelation through the prophets in the Old Testament. And then in these last days, in the last period of the Messiah, this is the days we are in, God spoke through the coming of his son, Jesus. God the Father is telling us what God the Son is all about. So firstly, if we look at verse 2, we see that Jesus is the heir of of all things. Now, I don't know if you have uh, inherited, perhaps a family inheritance. Uh, one day you might do that, or perhaps you've received an inheritance from a, a friendly benefactor. But we're told here in Hebrews that Jesus is the owner and heir of everything. Everyone that exists will exist or has existed. He's the one who will inherit everything at the end of time. Now, you might say to yourself, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody owns me. I'm in control. This is my life. I'm in control. Yet if we stop and think just for a second, the truth about our human condition is that none of us had anything to do with being born. 
We have no control over our nationality or any influence over our ancestry. And we're born with an automatic nervous system. Those who know about these things in the medical world. The system controls every vital function that sustains life. And a power that no one really understands keeps our heart beating, our lungs breathing, our blood circulating, our body temperature at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And yes, we do grow old automatically. And I don't think there's any skin products out there that will prevent that. We do grow old. So we're scarcely self-sufficient or in control. But God's word tells us that Jesus is the heir of all things. And Jesus put his finger on the very heart of the matter in John 15 and 5 when he said, without me, you can do nothing. And then verse 3 goes on to say that Jesus, as the Son, is also the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. And here the author's telling us that Jesus, the Son of God, is the perfect, full, and final revelation of God. Now, what does that mean? How can we best understand that or get a wee idea of that? Well, you may show someone a photo of yourself and they'll say, oh, you just look like your mum at that age. Oh, you just look like your dad there. You might even resemble your granny or some other relative. And then they might go on to say, well, see even some of your mannerisms. Oh, they're so like so-and-so or so-and-so. Very similar. But you never are an exact mirror image or a character image, are you? You never are. And here the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to grasp that Jesus is the perfect mirror image of God the Father. He's the perfect copy of his nature. And God desires to reveal himself to us. He wants us to know what he's like, what he's done. And as we noticed at the very beginning, God is a speaking God. And he's spoken most clearly through Jesus, his son. And if we want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus, the son of God, the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, who became a man in order to show us God and also to save us from our sins. The Apostle John explains it like this in John 1 and 18. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So Jesus is the one and only Savior of sinners. He is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and 6 tells us that. There is no other way to the Father. We can't reject God and think he will show us another way. He is the way. And there is no other way to be saved from his perfect justice or his wrath or his anger. And so we are left with the question, 
if we're not trusting Jesus for the way to be the way, if we're not trusting him for the forgiveness of our sins, then who or what are we trusting in? And verse 2 then goes on to say, there's not only the air and the exact expression of God's nature, but he's also the creator of the universe. Everything that exists came into being by his power. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, this clearly points out that Jesus was with God in the beginning at creation, creating all things. As we said earlier, of course, we like to think we are in control, we're self-sufficient, of our lives, masters of our destinies. However, the truth is, we are not our own. We belong to the one who created us. Now, I wonder if you've ever created anything or designed anything. Now, I don't know if there'd be anybody here that's designed a car. <laughs> Maybe designed a car, something like that. Well, you would decide how you would drive that car. You would decide how you would put that car together. How many gears it would have. What speed you would want the car to go to. Some of the gadgets in the car. Perhaps they're even a, a Bond-style gadget. We might have the eject button seat there. <laughs> well, it'd be the size and the color you wanted. You'd be putting it together because the creator gets to set the rules of how their creation is used. And Jesus is not only our owner and designer, but he's also our creator who sustains all things. Because verse 3 goes on to tell us, he upholds and maintains and guides and propels the universe by his mighty word of power. Now, I did a wee bit of research for the next bit, so we'd get this right, because there's any scientists in the room. But scientists know that our planet is precisely the right distance from the sun to benefit from its heat. And it's just lovely with the sunshine we've had the last few days. We're all benefiting from that. A little closer, and all the water would evaporate as it does on Venus. Only a bit further, and everything would freeze like it does on Mars. Earth is also just the right size to generate the right amount of gravity. Now, less would make everything weightlessly sterile like our moon. We would all be floating about here trying to keep grounded, while more gravity would trap poisonous gases that suffocate life as on Jupiter. Our planet Earth has been amazingly created and fine-tuned to perfection by the mighty power of God's Word. So if you've ever wondered what all these commands in the Bible are all about. Well, they are God's terms and they're God's conditions for use 
for the universe that he's created for his son, Jesus. It's his possession. It's created to display his glory. And Jerry Bridges makes the point when he says, Jesus is in sovereign control, not only of the physical laws of the universe, but of all the events and circumstances in the universe, including those that happen to each of us. The simple fact is that we can do nothing without him. He upholds the universe, he's ruling all things for the glory of God and the good of his people. Now you might think, yes, I can trust God, sustaining the universe that he created. But when life becomes difficult and it becomes complicated, personally for us, we may feel that God is not in control. And we might even say, where are you, God, in all of this that's happening? And at that point, at that point, do we believe and trust in God that is still in control and that is with us as we go through situations, knowing that he loves us, as we heard there in the children's talk, he has us in the palm of his hands, that he loves us and that he is working all things together for good in our lives as his word promises. Catherine Marshall, an accomplished author, she found herself in a time of great adversity and helplessness is how she termed her condition. And she found it very, very hard to pray, very difficult. And this is what she discovered in that place. She discovered that her total inadequacy, that's what she called it, became an opportunity for God's adequacy. I'm going to say that again, because if we've been in that situation of helplessness or we're in it, she discovered, as we can, that our total inadequacy can become the opportunity for God's adequacy to work in our lives and she found and discovered that God was for her and God was with her as she was going through the tough times that she found herself in. And this reminds me of a wee story that I read, and you probably have heard it, but it's about a wee boy, and he was afraid of the dark. And one night his mummy said to him, I want you to go out to the back garden and uh, go and pick up that, collect that brush I've been sweeping about all day and I've left it outside. If you go out and get it. Oh, and the little boy turned to his mummy and he said, oh, I don't want to go out there, it's dark. And his mother, smiling at him reassuringly, oh, you'll be all right, you don't need to be afraid of the dark. Jesus is out there. He'll look after you. He's going to protect you. Well, the little boy looked at his mother again, quite intently this time, are you sure he's out there? Oh, I'm sure he's everywhere. He's everywhere. And he's always ready to help you when you need him. So the little boy thought for a minute, and then he just sort of cracked open the door a wee bit, 
and he peeked out into the darkness and he called out, Jesus, if you were there, can you hand me that brush, please? <laughs> now, it's an amusing me story. It's an amusing me story. But the reality is, when we face a time of crisis in our life, we need hope. We need direction. We need the assurance that Jesus is going to be not out there, but here, right with us. And the scriptures tell us that trusting God is the way to find that hope and to find that direction. And I have to say that trust sometimes may require us allowing some unanswered questions in our life. And Proverbs 3, 5 to 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And finally, Jesus is not only the heir of all things, the exact expression of God's nature and the creator of the universe is also our redeemer. We've been singing about that and worshiping this morning. He's our redeemer. And verse three ends by saying that after making purification for sins, that is after he made the sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you know, if we go as far back as Genesis and the Old Testament, we see that we're just like Adam and Eve when it comes to obeying God. We choose sin, we choose self, we choose rebellion over God to obedience to him and the claims of ownership that he makes in our lives. And the result, or the wages of sins, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, is death and we come under the righteous curse of a holy and a just God deserving of an eternal punishment and as we heard last week of the truth in the Bible well here it is again that there is an eternity of heaven and hell a place of choosing to be with God or a place of separation from God but there's good news. There's good news. God in his infinite grace and his mercy and his love sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. And Jesus did for us that which none of us could ever achieve. He met the perfect standards that God required. And then in the greatest expression of love and grace, he died the death on the cross that we all deserved. And Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, says it like this in chapter 53, verse 6, about the work that Jesus would perform. We all went astray. Like sheep, we all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Now, I read this wee story last week reading quite a bit of stories recently, but this is a true story. And it's about four chaplains who served during the Second World War on S, the SS Dorchester. 
They were chaplains. Now, this ship was torpedoed off the coast of Greenland. Well, we can only imagine the chaos that was everywhere as that ship was going down. And these four chaplains tried to calm the hundreds of the panicking soldiers. And the story goes, they even preached a sermon on courage and confidence at that point in time. And when the life jackets ran out, each of the four chaplains took off their life jacket and gave it to one of the young soldiers who were frightened out of their wits because the four chaplains had determined to go down with the ship so that others might live. They gave their lives that others might live. And Jesus gave his life and he paid the price in full for us on the cross at Calvary. Death could not hold him and on the third day, he rose victorious from the grave. We've been singing about it this morning. Over sin, over Satan, and over death. He was raised to life that we might live as we put our trust in him for salvation and eternal life with him. And Jesus as we've just read this morning, is sitting now on the throne of heaven, reigning over all things until he returns one day to gather his people into his perfect kingdom. If we bring all these thoughts together this morning, what is it we've discovered about Jesus? He's just not the Jesus of the New Testament. In fact, the whole Bible points to him and is about him. He wrote the story. He wrote the story. He created all things. He sustains all things. He redeemed all things. And he is the heir of all things. And scripture tells us that one day every eye will see him and every knee will bow to him. And today, we have that opportunity to decide if we will put our trust in him for all he's done for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him now and give us that abundant life that he promises in him, not just for this life, but for eternity to come. And may that be so for each one of us today. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank and praise you for revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we just can't thank you enough for your great love for us that took you to the cross on Calvary. Thank you that your desire is for each one of us to know you personally as our Savior. And if we don't know you yet, then we ask you to come today into our lives right now as we put our trust and our faith in you. 
Guide each one of us in your ways by the power of your Holy Spirit, trusting that you are with us, that you work all things together for our good and for your glory. And in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Now, how fortunate are blessed and blessed are we that we have God's word, easy access to God's word, freedom to read God's word. And what we're just going to do now for a couple of minutes, we're going to watch a video about the work of Wycliffe Bible translators who seek to make God's word known throughout and around the world. Imagine you're at a banquet, but this feast isn't food or drink. It's a Bible banquet, and it's a big banquet. 7,099 guests, to be exact. One for every language of the world. At one end of the table, there is abundance. In English, there are hundreds of Bible translations to choose from, more than anyone could ever consume. But imagine if you were seated at the other end of the table. Imagine if you didn't have a Bible or even a single verse of scripture in your own language. What would you feel about a God who didn't speak your language? Can you imagine never having understood God's word? Would you have come to know him? This is Bible poverty. And Wycliffe Bible Translators was founded to end it. 1.5 billion people cannot access the Bible in their own language. 160 million do not have a single verse of scripture. It's not fair. It's not just. Will you help us battle this injustice? Our vision is to put an end to Bible poverty, to create universal access to the Bible. We're working to make God's word accessible to everyone, no matter what language they speak. Much has been accomplished, but much remains to be done. Please consider helping us end this injustice. This work needs your support through prayer, giving, or even going. Find out more at wycliffe.org.uk.